um, in finding some drills that really helped with uh, timing, with just general athleticism and coordination. Uh, those skips, those gallops um, were, were really, really beneficial. And I, I, I felt like the more we, we drilled those, obviously the better they got on the runway, but also when we went and, and did some other athletic skills, um, on the field when the summer came around and they were preparing for, you know, for football or soccer or, or whatever sport they might be. Um, I felt like it landed really well from a coordination standpoint. That was strength and track coach, John Garish. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by our longtime sponsor, Simply Faster. There are a lot of sports technology companies out there, but Simply Faster is the only website you can go to that features an online store that covers the bandwidth of training technology, from force plates to timing systems to muscle simulators and more. Some products of Simply Faster that I use and love include things like the Freelap Timing System and K-Box, or coaches' favorites such as GymAware. Recently, Simply Faster has added two units that as a coach, you should definitely take a look at. The first is the Muscle Lab Contact Grid, which is an extremely affordable and portable step-by-step, literally, system to collect data on jumps, bounds, sprints, agility, hurdle hops, and really as much as your creative mind can imagine. In what used to take a whole runway worth of collecting of data collecting strips, the Contact Grid does it all with only two small strips that together cover up to 40 meters of sprinting. Ground contact time, step rates, rhythms, and beyond are at your fingertips with this device. Another new unit, the VO2 Master, is an ultra-portable gas exchange analyzer. Don't guess on energy system development when you can get direct insight into VO2 capabilities in relation to specific sports skills, rather than uh, being hooked up to tubes on a treadmill or worse yet, a cycle ergometer to get a VO2 Max. Think of the VO2 Master as your own gas exchange lab without the tubes and wires. Deepen your analysis in the specific conditioning preparation of your athletes with the VO2 Master today. These products and incredible customer service make Simply Faster your go-to for your sports technology needs. I'm happy to have partnered with them in sponsoring this podcast. Their support has been tremendous, so check them out today at simplyfaster.com. That's simply with an I, faster.com. Welcome to episode 182 of the Just Fly Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Smith. Thanks for being here today. Our guest today is John Garish. John is the Director of Athletic Development and Performance at North Broward Preparatory High School in Coconut Creek, Florida. John, in addition to that, John also serves as the school's head track and field coach, and John is also serving as the National High School Strength Coaches Association Regional Board Member for the Southeast. John has previously served as the Director of Athletic Performance with the Florida Rugby Union's High Performance Sevens team and has been involved in numerous other strength and sport coaching outlets and roles. John is a passionate and creative coach. I always enjoy seeing what he's up to in the world of speed and strength training. He posts on his social media regularly and is very transparent with his methods. He's a speaker at a number of athletic performance clinics, and he is a student of some of the best coaches in the game. At North Broward, John has the challenges of teaching speed and athletic movement to large groups of athletes at a time. So in doing so, he has implemented a variety of uh, totally unique speed drills utilizing the common uh, mini hurdles, but he uses them in a way that is creative, unique, and gets results. John is a, t- is a tremendous compiler of data and sprint images. Of He'll regularly post dozens of images of what all these sprint constraints look like, at different athletes going over mini hurdles, utilizing different arm positions, different hand positions, and seeing how that impacted the whole. And I always really, truly enjoy at where my coaching has always been heading is the more that we can use constraints to get athletes to do the thing that we want them to get to without having to actually tell them this is the better the better option. We want them to learn on their own. We want an athlete-centered approach. John's approach dealing with large groups and te- teaching them to sprint properly, being not only the strength coach but the track coach, is really an epitome of that. So on the show today, John is going to get into... John is going to get into his management system of the weight room at North Broward Prep. He's going to talk about how he manages large groups of athletes in the weight room with a small support staff. He's going to get into his use of gallops and skips as an important part of his warm-up process. 
And then he's going to get into all of his mini hurdle speed constraints in his program, which is a real highlight. So arm positions, hand positions, taco hand, TCU hand, um, and, and, and much more. And a lot of hand positions I had no idea that make an impact, that make an impact on the feet and what you're seeing in running, what you're seeing in acceleration versus top end speed. So I guarantee throughout the course of this episode, you are definitely going to learn some things that you hadn't thought about before, as I definitely did. This was a fantastic episode, and let's get on to the show. What Absolutely. age? What what ages do you work with at uh, North Broward uh, Prep uh, for for your job? So, so um, in a, in an official capacity, um, sixth through twelfth grade. So we're talking about. Uh, would that be like 11, 10, 11 years old um, until they're 18 or 19, 17, 18, 19, whatever day it is that they graduate. So um, when I first started working at North Broward, it was it was basically like it was a it was a created position that was thought to be um, basically a it's a it's a full time role. Awesome, awesome position. But it was it was specifically for the high schoolers and specifically kind of just in writing. We were thinking like high school student athletes like. I think a little bit more probably sports specific than um, what I would like to grow it into being when we when we first started and and what it is now, um, and just kind of like lining up teams and and this team's training at that time. Um, shortly thereafter, I guess actually a little a little more than shortly thereafter, a few years later, um, I started having some middle schoolers that were really interested in our training, and it wasn't as seamless to transition them into the room, which is kind of what I was looking at from a progression standpoint. Um, so we were able to get off the ground a, a couple of middle school personal fitness classes. So those kind of came on after the fact. And now uh, I'll see somewhere around uh, 70 middle school um, students a day. And, and those are those are not necessarily student athletes. They might play a sport. They might not. Um, and kind of the same goes for our high schoolers. They might play a sport. They might not. Um, it, it, you know, if they do great, that's probably the, the terminology I'm going to use. That's going to be what excites, uh, excites us to train. Um, but if they don't play a sport, they're more than welcome to, to join us. So, um, sixth to, to 12th grade. And, you know, I'll see a couple of younger students that kind of want to pop in on maybe one of our additional sessions, or, you know, maybe their parents reach out to me about, um, training individually. Um, so I might see some third, fourth, fifth graders, but, but mostly, you know, our, a large percentage of our students are are sixth through twelfth grade. And so, with that, um, like that wide span of athletes, and are, are you the only coach there, or do you have any assistants or interns or anything like that? It's just me. Um, when we get into track season, I can get a little more creative with who we bring in. Uh, in the past, I've like the the interns that I've been really lucky with, um, and I'll be completely candid with you, I haven't had like much success with college age student interns. Um, most of them are like connections in the field and in the profession that maybe it's a coach like Joe Valentino was a coach at uh, FAU um, and now he's at Ramapo College and in between those stops like he was he was the best thing that could ever happen to our program because he's a you know he's a better coach than I am and he just came and decided he wanted to volunteer his time so when we get into track season I can I can find a way to pay a coach like that typically it would be a volunteer role um, which I as I said he was willing to do but um, it's a little bit tougher to find people that that are fit, um, you know, for the role and the responsibilities that are that are willing to do it for that. So when we get into track season, typically what I look for in coaches is if I can find like if I can strike gold with somebody like that, that's awesome, especially from an athletic de- development and strength and conditioning standpoint, um, which is a big integral part of our of our track and field program. But um, I can also like usually what I look for there is I find the teachers on campus that the students love and, you know, not just they love because they're easy on them. They love because there's there's something different about them and there's something that brings out passion in the students. So that's usually who I look for. And, and from there, you know, we can kind of instruct and, um, and 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 create an environment that, you know, even if even if they're not going to be the most technical in a squat progression or in a. Uh, a sprint, uh, you know, a technical drill or something like that. Still, I know that their heart's in the right place and I know they're going to be uh, looking out for our kids. And that's, that's not just lip service. That's the truth. I mean, that's, that's who I prefer to look for in coaches anyway. Sometimes when we get coaches that are overly technical, it, it, it does, you know, it, it scares our kids away a little bit, which is, it's a unique environment. You know, it's, it's a, um, as I said, we have a bunch of students that might go on and, and play college sports and they're really committed to it. And we might have some kids that are just there because I ran into them one day on campus and asked what they're doing after school. Um, 
so, you know, I think it, I think it's important to find the right fit for that program, but also, um, for who's in the weight room, because, um, obviously we need, I'm, I'm more concerned with having eyes in a, in a secure, safe room versus, um, somebody that, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily, not that I, I, it would be nice, but I don't really need somebody to come in and program if that makes sense. So, um, yeah, it's, but across the board, it's, it's typically just me typically just me in track season. Like I said, it's, it, there's more of us and it's, it's usually some teachers on campus that can help kind of uh, maneuver the flow. Yeah. So with that type of, um, coach to athlete ratio, uh, how do you assess your, so how do you go about assessing your athletes? Um, is, sure. do you have a trip, uh, any sort of screen? Do you have exercises that are also the assessment? It's, it's just you and a lot of athletes many times. Yeah. How do you, how do you make that happen? Yeah. So, so, um, that, that does create a challenge. I think the kids know, um, I've been heavily influenced by Tony Holler's work. So, um, I don't know if the kids know that, but the kids know that there's probably going to be some form of, of assessment on a daily basis. So immediately setting the environment, I think that helps because the kids know what to expect. Um, when we're, when we're timing sprints or what have you, they know that, okay, they might, it might not be a traditional track practice and they might have to kind of have some autonomy and, and accountability on themselves to, to stay loose, but they know that that's going to be something that happens. So, um, I, I try to just like everything else in our programming, I try to make it as reasonable. Um, I, I, I try to design it in the most reasonable fashion to, to meet the needs of as many students as, as might attend. So with the exception of track season, when they're, when they're signed up and they're on our roster for our track program, anything else is going to be like, 100% voluntary. So if you're, if you're training, uh, with the exception of those middle school classes, those are class periods that I'm taking attendance before, after school, if you're coming to train, yes, coaches are going to encourage you to be there. Um, but it, at the end of the day, it's all on you. It's all on the kids. If they enjoy the environment and if they're willing to attend on a daily basis and hopefully they are. So if they are, I, I, I want to be able to meet the needs of as many students that might participate as possible. So some of our assessments might, um, kind of find that, that, that form a little bit, um, from a standpoint of timing sprints of, you know, some things that have worked well for us. Um, I, I really like, like if we can get out on the field and I, I think we had at least messaged back and forth about some of the, the power skips for speed that we've been doing, um, and power skips for distance. Like if I can find a yard line and, and the reason, my reason in saying this is if we can do power skips for distance or bounds for distance or continuous, uh, hops for distance, um, even if I say it's 14 yards or 15 yards versus 44 foot eight, or, you know, something that maybe we're a few inches off, at least I can use that as a baseline and, and track progression, if that makes sense. So I know it's, it, it makes it a little bit more challenging to be very specific and, and, uh, quantitative in some of those assessments, but we're going to find ways that it, that it meets the needs of our students similarly. Um, so just a, across the bat, like, We'll test every four weeks. We'll go probably a 40-yard dash will be big for, for most of our students. 60-yard um, dash will typically be big for our baseball kids, so uh, baseball guys. So, again, like in working with and, and learning from Tony Holler, I probably my first four years, three, four years, I probably would have avoided the 40-yard dash like a plague. I don't know why. I think it was just a mindset thing and not wanting kids to think they're at a combine. Um, but I was timing like 30 meter dashes and kids were asking what that would be in their 40 yard dash. So <laughs> I figured I can just kind of, um, get our kids together and, and encourage a, and entice a bunch of kids to be out there. If we did that same thing with the baseball guys, they care about their 40 cause they want to compare themselves to others, but they really care about that 60 because that's typically what they're running, uh, at their showcases, uh, you know, good, bad, or indifferent. Um, we also like some of the things that we'll do from a jump standpoint. Again, if it's, if it's that, like, specific assessment every four to eight weeks, whatever kind of window we're looking at. Um, that might be an instance where I ask a couple coaches to help me out and we'll do a standing long jump. Uh, we'll for like vertical jump, vertical jumping ability. Um, I don't have a vertex, nor would it really be, I think the right option for potentially, you know, 80 to a hundred students. Um, so we kind of have a makeshift that we use, I put a tennis ball on a rope and it hangs up from a rafters and we can set up and then it's kind of a pulley system of measurement. It's kind of hard to explain without showing you, but I can set up eight to 10 of those in the weight room 
Um, and it does take some student accountability, you know, a partner accountability because we're probably not going to have a coach at each of those stations, but, um, th they can use. So basically there's rope, uh, I hang a rope, it's taped. I mark each inch, uh, half an inch actually. And then I have all my PVCs are the same length and you basically measure the PVC against the rope. I know that's hard to uh, picture if I don't show you, but, um, Long story or short story long, basically try to create as many opportunities to still track progress, but make it suitable to having a large number of athletes. Now, when we're in track season, I have more of those coaches and maybe I can put some more coaches on a stopwatch or again, I can have some more coaches kind of spot um, where they're landing on the field if it's a if it's a power skip for distance. So similar again kind of a feed the cats kind of mindset we're gonna we're gonna time a sprint on a weekly basis. It's usually going to be a 40 once we get into track season. Um, we'll do some things, like I said, power skips for distance, power skips for speed um, that, again, we can time over varying distances. Um, and we can do the same thing with gallops, which I think all of those things also really suit the needs of of some of our kids and their developmental, um, you know, where they're at developmentally. I think I think the more we get back to skips and gallops and hops and jumps, um, I think the better off for for just our, our kind of overall and, and long term uh, development of our kids. So, um major, major part of our program. And then, and then another thing that, that we use for, you know, largely in, in much of our, from a technical standpoint, we, we certainly use kinograms, um, for, for most of our kids. And that takes a lot of time when I'm at home. Um, but if I can do some of those things and, and take some, some care of that, uh, take care of that on my own, um, that helps us kind of when we're, when we're training. So me doing a little bit of work at home, to, to, to help us out when we're um, just kind of going through what we want our, our technical model to look like um, has been something that's beneficial to us as well. Tell me a little bit more about the, um, the, the gallops and the skips. Cause I, I, I love it all, especially, and like you said too, like it's always what the kids resonate, right? Like how does this 30 convert to the 40? Like I'm sure that yeah. so common, right? But uh, I mean, it's, it's for yeah. a reason. And uh, and, and I think that the emotional intent that behind something like that too, if you know, it's a 40 and there's that little bit of that, you know, comparison Absolutely. or validation, it's just, it just brings it all into the picture. But I think that, um, I think it is probably a little bit less common to, but not, not saying it's not, I think it's, it's critically important probably even more so for the younger kids, like the, the middle school and young and like high school, younger high school, the, the galloping and skipping. And I know in, in my track track and field club experience with younger athletes, that's always something that the, the galloping and skipping Absolutely. is. Uh, so you are you saying like you get you get like ten power skips for distance or ten gallops for distance or is Absolutely. that is that how that works? Okay. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. So um, just as you said, typically it's it's ten, it's five each leg on the skips, um, and basically it's a it's that's an integral part of our warm up on a daily basis. I think. You know, I, I think the interesting thing about track and its variety of events is, number one, most track coaches probably have some experience with variety of events, if not all of them. Um, but now, interestingly enough, even with even though we don't have hammer throw in Florida, um, the sprinters were kind of the group that made the most sense in taking on a, a track program. So track came came on after I was already the director of strength and conditioning. Um so thinking from a multi-sport standpoint, uh, I figured we can kind of check the most boxes and get the most kids out there um, by by incorporating and including them probably in the sprints group. And that was probably going to be similar to the methods that we would train in at that time of year anyway. Um, but then quickly that kind of led to your best sprinters or probably some of your better long jumpers. Um, so it's turned into a lot of our kids that were sprinting. We were also going to include long jump and then that I don't know if I should say, of course, for us, it, it landed seamlessly, but then we went into triple jump, which like when I started working with our students in triple jump and we were in many ways figuring things out on our own, um, and finding some drills that really helped with, uh, timing with just general athleticism and coordination, uh, those skips, those gallops, um, were, were really, really beneficial. And I, I, I felt like the more we, we drilled those, obviously the better they got on the runway, but also, when we went and, and did some other athletic skills um, on the field when the summer came around and they were preparing for, you know, for football or soccer or, or whatever sport they might be, um, I felt like it lended really well from a coordination standpoint. And uh, even just like from a technical sprint standpoint, I think I think projection 
um, was an important piece that that came from that. I think uh, the you know bounding is something that I want all of our kids to be good at. Uh, I would love to say I'd love them to be great at it. Um, but that's also, that's a, that's a kind of long course progression that we go through that, that takes some time just, just from a standpoint of, of what they need to, um, you know, changing mindset and, and changing just elongating a sprint stride. Um, so some of the sprints and gallops and just kind of integrating and incorporating those in have also lended well to, um, our, our, our kids understanding, you know, the benefits of bounding and, and, and things like that. So it's, it's really helped for our, the entirety of our program, um, as, as young, I, you know, and I don't know if, I don't know if things would change much. If you, if you said I have a, a college population, I still think, you know, power skips and, and gallops are, are essential for, um, for training. So it's been a big, a big piece of our training. Yeah. Yeah. I can definitely, yeah. And I should say I, it's as helpful as the coordination basis for those younger athletes. I definitely, I do would agree that it's important as you move on and move yep. forward. I, even myself too, That's like true. I, I became the athlete in my mid twenties when I was still, you know, jumping at high jumping at college meets who everything was all on the pure power end. So how far is my bound? You know, how much am I lifting yep. in the weight room? And, but I wasn't that, that raw, finer speed and coordination was not being addressed as much. And it reflected in my events, not being more muscle in nature, not as like fine tuned, twitchy, coordinated. And sure. Uh, and, and sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, oh, yeah, especially yeah, no. since we've, especially since we've started to integrate over the last year, like we've been, we've been doing the power skips for distance. We've been doing much of that, um, kind of distance oriented or, um, you know, focused uh, on those skips and gallops. But once we started going for speed, just, just seeing how the dynamics changed a little bit, I, I thought was really cool. And especially, I mean, reading and listening to some of your work as well, uh, some of your guests, like just seeing some, some positions that the athletes found themselves in was um, pretty cool to see and, and how, you know, it, it, it puts things together for them um, in, in how much, you know, and how they kind of oriented themselves through those drills. Yeah, no, that's a, that's an Adarian bar special is like the speeds is like, mm -hmm. I think hundreds of meters of speed skipping <laughs> as a, as a, a staple work. I don't want to put words as well, exactly what it is, but I know he, he uses that yeah, a lot. Uh, so let's, let's flip over to the, a little bit on the strength piece and the long-term development piece. So you work with quite a range of athletes, John, and what's, what's your take on training your athletes in their journey with you in terms of their long-term development and progression? So how what um, it, one thing one episode I think of that kind of is a, was a very like a very clear delineator was Carmen Pata at UW River Falls is like year one RKC year two you have uh, I think it was uh, like a traditional year three it was a triphasic or something like that or a French sure. you know, so uh, it, what uh, how does your progression go for your athletes as they go from the younger to the older ranks. Yeah. You know, and I, I started that way. Um, you know, my, my experience previous to here was, was largely, um, in the realm of, of a tier system. Um, so I interned in, uh, under Frank Wintrick at North Texas, who, um, basically showed me the ropes from a tier system standpoint. And when I was purely focused on training, uh, weight room related, um, and, and purely focused on the strength and, and conditioning component of, uh, our student athletes again. This is this is before track kind of came into into play. Um, a lot of that was bleeding into our programming, and and a lot had kind of gradually modified and changed itself just based on the needs of our kids and the needs of a high school age kid. Um, but I did kind of follow a format similar to that of of going through stages and and looking at specifically specific like prerequisites to what our students wanted to meet before they moved on to the next progression, uh, in a movement or, um, before they moved on to a higher intensity or, or, or whatever it, it might've been for, uh, for that specific movement. Um, quickly when we, when the program started to grow and we started to see some more kids, um, as I told you, like everything that we do is, is voluntary. There's not going to be anything that kids are mandated to be at. So, um, that does make things and we wouldn't, I wouldn't have it any other way. I think it, I think it helps, uh, bring the best out of our kids. And, uh, it also puts 
uh, the ball back in our court a little bit from a standpoint of making sure they're they're meeting their needs um, or, or or our program is is um, enticing enough that that they're willing to attend. Um, so I think you know quickly as the numbers started to grow and as the faces started to change, I, I think my mindset kind of changed in in terms of like keeping it a step by step process versus. Um, making it bleed a little bit more and, and making it, uh, and making the transition a little more, um, seamless, so to speak of, okay, we have in the summer, like strongly encourage our, our freshmen to come be a part of our summer program. That's 13 uninterrupted weeks. And we spoke off air about like some of the time restraints that you might have at the college level. You also have students that, that travel, those 13 weeks, we have a really good opportunity to go through a movement progression and a technical progression with our ninth grade um, student athletes. Uh, middle school, middle school that time of year, like we're pretty much just playing through our training and it's not going to be much technical because I know that I'm going to get a lot of time for them throughout the school year. Um, but those 13 weeks, we have a lot of time to go through our, our technical progressions. The other 13 weeks where I know these are probably going to be my set kids that I know I'm going to see on a daily basis, there's 13 weeks of our track and field program up until districts. And then if you pass, if, if you advance past districts, we might get some more time with you. So that's, those are the two times where we really focus on technical progressions and we can kind of break things down. Aside from that, those other, the other half of the year, um, we want to be ready to train and, and the, the modifications that probably change based on our students and our age is more so in the realm of intensities and, and volume versus what the movements might be. Fact of the matter, there's going to be there's going to be a bunch of kids that aren't ready to back squat, and we're going to take that on a case-by-case basis. The large kind of all-encompassing uh, changes that are going to happen for our students are going to happen more so in a, in a load intensity and, and volume standpoint. So for our younger students, they're going to be in a much lesser intensity range. Our, our senior, more advanced students are going to be in a higher intensity range, um, and, it's, and, and we kind of make through programming um, that happened for itself. So um that's, I mean, that's the bulk of it. I, I mean, it, that's a, that's a large part. Intensity, I think is a, is a big issue for our students. And especially once they learn the movements and we feel like they've learned the movements well enough that, that they can perform them. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast brought to you by Simply Faster. Are you, in terms of um, like, delaying some of the more intensive training means like like using like depth jumps or like the really heavier squats or french contrast are you is that something that you're delaying like kind of as long as like later in the training or what's your um take on like the sensitivity to like these intense training means or leaving things on the table for college potentially or obviously it's always a kind of a tough thing like you got to perform well now or how do you manage that yeah well i mean I say this to our kids and more so I say this to our parents. Like we we're thinking of our training and this is going to sound like an elevator speech, but we think of our training in an eight year window, um, our, our high school program and, and whatever their college program, uh, we want to, to, to work together. So having a, having an idea of what most college programs are going to be doing. Um, I think I, we have a pretty good idea of what we want to prepare them for. And then of course, when they're juniors and seniors and they decide on their school, and and know that that's where they're going to go there might be a little more something a little more specific to prepare them for when they go into that program some of the things that we're doing out on the track from a speed standpoint i know is probably like once they graduate from us i don't know if they'll ever do some of those things again not because they're too advanced or not because we're being you know unique for the sake of being unique but i know that coaches have their different mindset different ideas and also the fact of the matter they're probably not going to be running track in, in college. So, so many coaches are going to take them on the field and they're going to have 30 or 40 minutes to do so when, when potentially we have some more time to do that and, and, and focus on some of our technical traits that we want to out there. So, um, basically, yes, we want to help our students play their best on Friday nights and Wednesday evenings or whenever their games might be. Um, but if they're preparing to play a college sport, we, we don't want them to meet their, the pinnacle of their athleticism by their junior, senior year. We've done something really wrong if they're 16, 17 years old and they'll never be more athletic than they are now. Um, so we do want to leave some of those things kind of in the bag, so to speak, um, from a standpoint of, you know, technical progressions, especially from an Olympic lifting standpoint, um, it, it does, it does be, create a challenge having a large number of students, 
in the room. So we're doing mostly derivatives from an Olympic lifting standpoint, not because I don't believe in the benefits, nor is it, you know, that might just be me kind of um, shamelessly accepting fault of, of having the inability to, to maintain that number of, um, characters, um, and take them through a teaching progression, but we'll do mostly derivatives. And when they're prepared for when they're going into their college prep program, which will be kind of a, a half, it, it could potentially be a half my program, half, whatever college program they're going to. It could be if, if the coach sends them a, a booklet, we're going to do that booklet. Um, and you know, nine times out of 10, maybe eight times out of 10, that probably includes some sort of Olympic club. So at that point, certainly in a smaller, uh, more condensed room, uh, or, or a smaller, more condensed number of athletes in their college prep program, um, that are, that are training kind of individually. Um, that might be the time that some Olympic lifts kind of come into play. Um, but yeah, those are, those are probably largely, you know, and, and talking to some, some great coaches that are Olympic lifting based in college, usually they say if, if the kids can hinge and they're strong enough to pull and, um, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd almost rather them, them do their magic. So, um, that's, that's probably the, the bulk of, of, I guess what we leave in the bag, um, for them to, for them to see it, um, potentially in college. Yeah, I would, I would agree if a kid can, um, if, a, if an athlete can hinge, well, uh, it's not too hard to uh, teach them an Olympic lift, uh, within a not too long time span. Uh, I, uh, one of the things that I really, you're doing that really intrigued me, John, was some of the things you're doing with fly sprinting and not only fly sprinting, but specifically the hand positions as well. Uh, so first, could you tell me a little bit on the, when you're doing your, your sprints, what are some different constraints that you use? I've seen you use, uh, have these charts with all these different positions. I was trying to figure out what they yeah. exactly meant, uh, but it looked awesome. Uh, tell me a little bit. Tell me a little bit about your fly, the the fly sprint constraints you do, and how that speed work sure. uh, filters in. Well, I appreciate you noticing that, and it, it, you know, it, um, it's it's been it, many of these many of the ideas come from kind of the same place of expecting probably a large number of student athletes like like most high school um performance coaches or track coaches are probably going to see um understanding that there are some things that technically that we can help students autocorrect versus like trying to just force them into some environment or force them into some model that might not be the answer um so a lot of this all comes from the same conversation of knowing we're expecting a large number of student athletes, but also knowing that the bulk of our program is probably more focused. And I say probably, I would say definitely more focused on a motor learning, motor patterning, motor, motor development, um, sort of philosophy than it is of like X's and O's, whether it be in the weight room, uh, X's and O's on the track. I can give you the most detailed script of, of, of what we want to do on the track that's how it's going to be. But at the end of the day, like we can still create an environment that helps the students kind of feel in a way that they're, they're a large part of it, but also they're figuring things out on their own. So there's not, I explained a little bit, uh, just from a standpoint of a kinogram method and like the technical approach to, to what we want to see our students, um, not necessarily performing, um, to a T, but at least we can kind of track and look at what kind of modifications or changes they've made over time. Um, that largely is due to there's probably if you if you came to see um, one of my sessions, there probably isn't going to be a large number of queuing because especially out on the track, I found that queuing has really stumped a lot of our young student athletes. When you're talking about middle and high school, um, I felt like when I use my words, whether it's I'm not I could be struggling to find the right words or not not very good with my words or just back to the matter of, of having to hear and think. Sometimes you throw that right word out there and it helps a kid and all of a sudden bang um, more often than not, especially um, because whatever cue you might use for one might seem different for the other 60 or 70. So I wanted to find a way to kind of help create an environment that students can can figure it out on their own. And one of the one of the main directions that that led for me was wickets. Um, if I know I've certainly talked to coaches in the high school level that have used wickets, um, and college level as well, usually the first question is, how do you do it with such a large number of students? And the answer is you can't really, I, I don't want to say you can't because you certainly can find creative ways. Um, but it does create a struggle, 
Um, it does create a speed bump potentially in practice if the spacing's not right. It, it creates frustration if somebody's unable. Um, so we knew that wickets weren't going to necessarily be something that we used in our in our large group training sessions. So many of those same ideas and many of the same positions that I wanted the students to find themselves in, I wanted to make it a little bit more specific for them and find ways that they can still be able to respond to the environment or respond to whatever like tactile implement or cue we want to use for their sprints. Um, but it, it, it makes it a little more individual for them, as I said. So many of those are like coming from implements, just as you said, like some of them, I just create names because it helps me and the students remember them. Um, largely, I would say just from like a, from a standpoint of, you know, our, um, like those flies and the sprints that we're testing. Um, there's, there's kind of three big, um, constraints or I guess like challenges we want to look at for our students. That's usually an implement or, or overhead. Um, overhead has been really, really good to us. Uh, you know, I think it started probably just from reading some of Franz Bosch's work that was way over my head and then kind of experimenting a little bit and finding things that have worked for our kids. Um, then we would look at like rotation, I think is big for our, especially through acceleration. We found for our students. So, so manipulating and creating some positions or, or I don't want to say forcing our students in positions, but, um, creating drills and, and, and constraints that, that the students can use rotation. And I'll explain it a little bit more thoroughly, but, um, and then also, um, some drills that, and, and implements that'll help us focus on, on some better, uh, front side action, I guess is, I guess is the best way to put it in it. That came probably, I think from some, a lot, many of those probably probably stemmed from some good ideas, some bad ideas, um, and and you know especially like from a front front side standpoint, like I think I was I was not putting too much attention on the hip flexors, but but not realizing like what was happening in contact with the ground. Um, so anyway, the the those three different positions, our overhead is, is going to be really big for us. So the way that we start is going to be a PVC overhead. Um, and then we'll go a, a lightweighted bar overhead, which will be like, it's like six pounds or something like that. It's just, I just got it at Home Depot or Lowe's and, and we use that. One of the things that I was seeing, cause we were using that for a long time. And one of the things that I was seeing was an overcorrection from our students. And I was seeing like a, an excessive arch in, in the spine. And I saw just like, it might, it might look good in a kinogram, but also it, it just wasn't what the, the student's need was in their sprint form. So what we created from that was what I call a Braveheart, and it, it's basically almost like a, a specific parachute or drag type of concept, I guess, um, in terms of it's a PVC with a flag or a T-shirt uh, wrapped around it. So the reason why I thought to, to, to use that was because the students were um, excessively kind of the PVC was getting way behind them and they were trying to force um, posture in, in the wrong uh, and, it, you know, and, and what I saw is kind of the wrong adaptations. Um, we were able to put a little bit of kind of wind resistance in their hands, force them to get back overhead and, and stack a little bit better, which I thought was really beneficial um, on that end. So we went from light, from unweighted to, to lightweighted to um, having some resistance, uh, I, I suppose, specific to what we wanted to see them be able to um, the position they wanted them themselves to find themselves in. Um, and then we would go what I call a golden eye, which is basically like hands are clasped in like a, a prayer position. Um, they start out the drill and most of these drills, they start out in a, a different. Um, so like the PV, the overhead, they're starting with the PVC on their shoulders. And then at, you know, at a specific point, they're going overhead uh, with the golden eye. It's basically hands clasped. Like uh, I think Weck refers to it as like Dion's or prime times. I use Corfus prime times in like a straight leg bound. So I just tell them it's like an option quarterback. Like that's kind of the, the concept I've gotten kind of shoulder to shoulder, um, triple option anyway, old school, like ready to make a pitch. Um, but you could also think of it like Dion's carrying a football with both hands. Um, and they'll go up overhead, um, hands still clasped. And I think just what I tell them more often than not, and that's, that is largely, that's going to be, um, important for our overhead position, but I also tell them in, in just about all our sprints that we do, if we use constraints, like still, still use rotation. So I tell them to still use rotation and that I think locking the lats in, um, but forcing them to find a way to still, um, create positions and create rotation, 
um, specific to their sprint needs has they've never overcorrected with too much rotation, which has been good. Um, so they would go overhead with that, as I said, and then we could do that potentially with a, a light weighted implement or, or something along those lines. Um, with the front side action, I said med ball hug, hands on waist, just uh, that started in using drills and just teaching um, kind of our students to get out of that old mind, mindset of kind of just a little league butt kick, uh, foot way behind them. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, to get some activity of the hip flexor, as I said. And once we started creating those positions, I realized that more happened with contact in the ground. Um, and then with rotation, we would do like hand positions, hands on the shoulders, again, telling them to use rotation. We could use the med ball for the same thing and we could use that option quarterback. Um, that started with experimentation and that those were some drills that we used through progressions and it wasn't necessarily, yes, we would do them maybe for three weeks and then test and three weeks and test saw a great benefit. Um, and then I started toying with some uh, different hand positions with pulsers or weights um, that I thought was going to be um, initially it started with experimentation in my own training and some of our kids that wanted to get some additional work. Um, but I felt as though once we started, like that's, that's a big thing that I don't think we looked at much for the first few years was hand position. Um, timing, I think is really, really big. And that was something that, especially in, in focus on, on the triple jump, like you realize if timing isn't right, uh, most everything else was wrong. So changing some of those hand positions. And I know you've, you've gone through the benefits and some of your guests have gone through the benefits of, of pulsers and, and just kind of what it, it, it forces us to look at from a, from a timing standpoint, but also the hand positions and just kind of adding slight modifications to the hand position. Um, once again, kind of it, it lends to the students knowing like there's a reason coach wants me to do this. There's a reason why we're doing this drill, but I still have the freedom to figure it out um, on my own. So, so some of those hand positions, like I noticed that uh, in a like normal grip, almost like a, I don't know, like a water bottle grip, mm -hmm. whatever you would want to call that. Um, just normal grip with the pulsers or with anything, frankly, in the hands um, really created. I felt like through acceleration, great pressure. I thought I felt like it was really forceful. Um, but when we get to our upright mechanics, some things kind of just didn't transition how I, I wanted it to be. So uh, we started toying with some of the uh, different position positions. Um, uh, so some of those, like a penalty card one was one that it started basically, you think like uh, your thumb is upright and the, the pulser is in line with your thumb uh, in contact with your pointer finger. Kind of like if a if a, an official is putting up his penalty card, all of these names like kids come up with, and they say that's what it's like. So I use it. Um, the next one that we've used is well, that all stemmed kind of from your taco hand posts um, that we started using some uh, some of those um, positions, and they and they kind of transitioned into into others. Um, TCU grip is basically like. I, I just think of like what TCU fans, I don't know if your listeners know what TCU fans do as their celebration or as like their, I don't know. Like hand. a horned frog hand or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure it's almost like the North Texas hand, except the thumb is in contact with the middle finger. And then we'll put um, the pulser in between those, the pointer and the middle finger. And that can go in different fingers. Again, that's just like, I felt as though we started to like what you saw the hand starting to do. You saw the foot starting to do as well, um, which I thought was was really cool. Um, and some students really adjust well to some hand positions, um, some not so much. The next one is what I call a, a captain hook. I don't know if that's um, I, I would say like a hook grip, but it's not a hook grip as though you would grip in a barbell. So basically it's like uh, middle and ring finger. Um, are, are hooked up. You can see what I'm doing. And then um, the pulser is there. And again, it's just um, how do the students use that? We've seen some like really, really good things happen at the feet um, when, when we've used some of these positions. Um, and you can also, we've also toyed with like one heavy, one light, uh, different weights yeah. in each hand. One, one, you know, one handed um, has some load, uh, the other hand, not necessarily. Um, and, you know, just, Again, that's like a lot of those pulser positions. That's kind of where our overhead and, and our implements started. Um, and we felt like we saw some really, really, and not just felt like we saw some really good success in, in some of our sprint times um, and, and in what some of our students were doing mechanically. 
Um, we're seeing a lot of the same things, I think, with those different pulsar positions. Um, and once I can kind of sort it out for now, it's experimentation. And I think our kids love that. Um, and they're able to experiment on their own as well. Um, but once, you know, once we, once we're able to kind of define the strategy of it and, and define how we want to use it specifically, um, I think it's going to be a large part of, of, of what we're going to do, even with our large groups, you know, it's hard to, um, do some of these things in bulk with PVCs. It's easy. Even with those light bars, it's easy with anything that we can use just, and you could just vary hand position a little bit. I don't think it necessarily needs a weight in your hand. So it's kind of where it stemmed from. That's where it's at now. And I think that's where it's going. Um, I think it's going to be something that we use even more than we are right now. I th that's, that's almost, that's, that's one of the sole things we're doing. If, if a student wants extra work and, and they're ready for the wickets, we're going through the wickets and we could even do the wickets with some different pulsar positions. And, and again, just looking at the feet and, uh, you know, seeing what the, what the feet are doing in, in, relative to, um, what their hands are doing. Um, it's kind of, it's kind of where it stemmed from. Yeah. So, uh, quickly in the time we do have left, I had a couple of follow-ups. Well, first I love that. I, I think of Stefan Jones says this a lot is the drill is the coach. And like you said, you, you give cues to an athlete that's 12 or 13 years old, or it, it just doesn't, it just doesn't hit like, and not to mention too, the, the effective internal cues on timing. And so I love your system of the, your, your assistant coaches are lying out there on the track, you know, being the, the wickets and, and the, the implements. I, so that, um, quickly that, the Braveheart thing with the flag, I was trying to picture, maybe we can put all, you know, some of these hand positions and things in the show notes if we can get a picture. But so essentially, yeah. and I get, I totally get what you're saying. If you have an athlete, especially an athlete with limited like thoracic mobility, anterior tilt to mm -hmm. who's sitting at a desk all day to put a stick over their head, they're going to compensate pretty majorly. I know exactly yep. what you're saying to get it vertical. So in the Braveheart, is it slightly forward? Are the hands slightly forward and there's like a teaser attached to the middle and it flat? Yeah. Could you explain that a little bit more? Yeah. So, so when, um, and, and if we're using t-shirts, I call them scarecrows because that's kind of how the t-shirt is lined up. And, and that's just, I started thinking about, like, like I said, I was seeing a lot of those things. I, I, I saw just compensations that we weren't necessarily looking for with the PVC. And I think anyone who's used the drills probably has seen similar things. So um, it, I tell them basically just above their forehead, maybe, maybe even a little bit forward. If it's a flag, it's just like would be on a flag post. So it, it looks extremely silly, um, for us over on the track. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm sure if there's like, like one day we were doing it and there was a visiting team in, there for a soccer game. And I can only imagine what they were thinking, um, was going on with our training, but that's exactly right. So with the T-shirt, you basically just slide it in by the sleeves. Uh, I guess that's almost like you would put a put it through a hanger, but the hanger is the PVC going through the uh, both sleeves. Um, and then, so as you're sprinting, the uh, the T-shirt or the flag is flying back um, in the wind. And again, it's not it's not just to get cute. The, the you know the specific reason is um, I've I've seen that it's 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 helped students a lot in, in correcting um, some of those compensations and. And again, can you, you know, do you feel it? You know, did you, did you feel what we were looking to accomplish? Does that make sense? Does that, does that paint a picture? So it's, it's, it's just both hands are overhead as if we were going with an overhead sprint. And I know Braveheart probably, he, I think he carries it off to the side. That's not necessarily what we're doing. I, I just call it because there's a flag involved, but well, it's, it's, um, it's emotional. It's, it's got some, uh, yeah, yeah. Right? yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So the PVC is just overhead, just like any of our other overhead drills. Um, the flag or the shirt is, is, you know, flying in the wind. Um, as again, usually our students, their corrections and their, their solutions that they come up with when we're doing that drill have been, have been pretty good. So, um, that's been something we've used. Awesome. Um, yeah. So last really quick clarification. So and I, I can see this. I know Adirian Bars talked to me about people who are like all torque in acceleration, but they can't get out of that like torque muscle mode in the, when they get up into upright being more elastic. And you were saying that holding a pulser in the standard grip. Um, and I do think it could be more of a power, just a general power mode. And then it's like as the, when you get in that upright running, the arches of the feet and the, that fascial dynamics becomes so critical. And so essentially you're saying that some of those other hands, like the taco hand, the horned frog hand, the um, the different manipulations there were more effective in top end speed versus perhaps acceleration or is it was a little bit different? 
And I've just seen, you know, even in some of those hand positions, you know, in, in looking at, you know, like doing some, some reading and learning with uh, the flap and like through acceleration, I've seen some benefits as well. Certainly. I think, I think there's been great benefits to varying those hand positions. Um, but I have certainly seen when you, when we're looking at our, our, our young guys and gals at upright, I have seen more fluidity. Um, and again, this is just qualitative, um, speak from my standpoint, but, um, they've been able to find positions a little bit easier that are almost forced when, and you can, you can 100%, I think students like some of my more fluid athletes, like some of my more. 400 type guys that that look really smooth going across the track, but it might take them a while while to get going. They might have the more traditional conventional grip with the pulsers and still look just the way that, uh, you know, that that's fit for them. Um, But for just talking specifically for like some of my more um, tightly wound up um, athletes that are certainly, you know, you you feel it when they leave the blocks, um, but they have a little bit tougher time getting into some of those positions and, and, um, utilizing, um, what we want them to at, at top speed. I've found that those positions have been, have been pretty beneficial to them, uh, just kind of in varying it. Yeah. It's probably Again, a lot it, of experimentation. I think, it's just, I think it's just a, you know, I think it's a tactile cueing of like, it, loosen up a little bit, um, that, you know, I, again, I can't necessarily put, put a word to it or, um, say what it might be, but, um, I've seen them seem to look much better at upright. Okay, cool. Makes sense, man. Um, well, Hey, I think that's about all the time I have for the show today. Uh, would have been awesome to get to a few more questions, but, uh, maybe some other time, but John, thanks so much for your time today. I appreciate it, man. And, uh, I appreciate you coming on the show. Hey, I really appreciate it. Thank you for your time and, and inviting me. This is a great honor. Thanks for tuning in to another episode. Appreciate you guys being here with us. If you enjoyed the show, you can really help us out by leaving us a rating or review on iTunes, Stitcher, whatever you're listening to. It definitely helps us get seen on the, the old iTunes charts and gets this show in front of more people. So if you enjoy what we're doing there, you can really help us out with that. Be sure to visit our sponsor, simplyfaster.com, suppliers of high-end training technology. They have an amazing blog and the best of in each category of sports tech from contact grids that do the work of devices multiple times their price uh, to force plates to K-boxes to bar speed monitors. They are a one-stop shop for your sport techniques, so be sure to support them and check them out. All right, I'm out for this week, and we'll see you guys next week with another great guest. Have a good one.